What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football, Bleacher Report's college football and NFL draft podcast. I'm Matt Miller in English today because I have Mello and Connor, and I don't want to confuse Connor with my bilingualness. I mean, it kind of caught me off guard that you didn't do something well, in another language. I think Connor <laughs> actually speaks Spanish, so I don't want to like encourage him to just reply. I was going to say, we could definitely have some fun with this. but uh, And we also have, and I apologize because I forget the handle right now, but some of our listeners have been excellent at translating <laughs> the teasers yes. of the oh show, which has been a ton of fun. But um, guys, before we even get into the rundown, we got to talk about a pretty big event happening this week that's not Thanksgiving, correct? Yeah, not Thanksgiving, but I am fucking thankful for this. We are hitting the road, boys. Uh, Thursday afternoon, we're pulling out of Joplin, Missouri. You're flying out of uh, New York on Friday. We're going to Ohio State, Michigan. And I, I've said before, we get it. Game day is going to be there. Barstool is going to be there. Fox is going to be there. But we're going to be there, too. And we've had this plan longer than them, damn it. We, we were there first, guys. No, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're bringing a 27-foot RV trailer. We're going to be parked out in the RV lot off Fred Taylor Drive. We're taking, I don't even know how many beers yet because we haven't bought them. It's going to be in the in the hundreds. There will be no Coke Zero fan zone, I will tell you that much. There will not be. Right now. Uh, So, yeah, if you want a nice, delicious, sugar-free drink, you can go join those old farts over there. Yeah. Uh, If you want to throw back some natties, you want to toss some bags, I think you know the spot to be. That's going to be that RV lot over there in Columbus, Ohio. It is going to be wild. We're going to have food. We're going to have drinks. We're going to have cornhole or bags, whatever you call it. We're going to have both. I'm going to take my uh, beer pong table. I have a competition beer pong table. We're going to bring it. I don't, we'll play flip cup. Here's the deal. If you beat me at cornhole, you get that silver Sharpie. You can sign my custom made stick to football cornhole board. I like that idea too. And you know, you talk a lot of shit, but you haven't played in a while. It has been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> oh. Arms, arms going to get tired. Connor's going to pull up to the hotel Friday and I'm going to be in the parking lot practicing, warming my <laughs> arm up, trying to get a loose, but it is going to be fun. I, I'm so excited. We want this to be, the biggest tailgate that we've had. Connor, I, I know a lot of people have asked you questions. Some of the questions I'm getting most often, is this open to the public? Yes. Bring your friends. Yeah. Bring if everyone. you're 21 plus, you can come have a lot of fun. If you're under 21, you can still come meet us. Still ask your questions when we record the podcast. Uh, we're also getting asked this one. What do I do if I don't have a ticket to the game, but I want to tailgate? Connor, what are the Neither people Neither do we. Do? Exactly. <laughs> Neither do we. We're staying there the whole time. If you want to come watch the game with us and just hang out and really spend a CFB Saturday with us, we have three TVs. So if you don't want to watch Ohio State Michigan, which you're insane, there's going to be other options on the other TVs as well. Uh, I believe the match is going on that day between Phil and Tiger. It, it's going to be an absolutely insane, insane Saturday from 5 a.m. We will be there. If you want to be on the show, get there early because we always record the shows pretty early. Before we get but drunk. We're gonna, yeah, before we get drunk because we are responsible adults here. That's how we do it and stick to football. And, uh, man, we're going to have such a good time until they kick us out, until they drag us out of the there RV lot. Get the, get the verbiage down. Until they find an Uber driver that can also haul a trailer, we will be there. <laughs> and the good news is, like, truly, because of it, Thanksgiving weekend, a lot of the big games are on Friday. Oklahoma, West Virginia is on Friday. Washington State, Washington's on Friday. So Saturday, we are going to be able to really focus, but we got Syracuse, Boston College. You know that's going to be on one of the TVs. Florida, Florida State's probably going to be up. And then after those games, as we get into the afternoon, you want to watch a game, let us know. You want to watch Kentucky, Louisville? We'll watch it. You want to watch South Carolina, Clemson? Because it's like in-state rivalry weekend. We'll do it. 
it, it is going to be a blast. Notre Dame USC, not the game it used to be, but I bet I'm still out there at seven o'clock tailgating. So I'll watch it. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Truly never know. The only way to find out is to get there. Speaking of things we did not see coming, no one knows about. Holy God, Les Miles is the head coach at the University of Kansas for football. He is the head coach at Kansas. He's going to have five-year deal worth $13.8 million. Um, I, I just I don't understand the hiring here. I understand that he is a national championship coach, but I think he's been out of the game too long. And the last couple of years that we saw at LSU were just they were not good quality years, even in you know SEC LSU. I don't think he's going to bring much to Kansas. I, well, I would say Kansas hasn't been good at all. So it, he's going to give them, I, I think, some like prestige, some credibility. I mean, this is a team that they've won two ga- one game this year, right? No, they've no, won like three games. Three? Oh my yeah. god, they've won three games this year. So it's a good uh, year for Kansas, <laughs> right? Right. That's How a they good fired year, your coach. and they fired their coach after three wins. And then I know a lot of the fan base, at least the ones I see on Twitter, they still really aren't even happy that they got less miles. Which they is were, crazy to me. Apparently, listeners to the show, they wanted to go with a more of a triple option guy or just a young creative guy, not a 65-year-old man who has been out of the league. This is like the Raiders bringing in John Gruden, this guy who's been out of the league for a while, out of coaching, and now he's going to try to step back in. Good luck there, well, man. I- like I will say this, uh, not being a Texas or excuse me, not being a Kansas fan at all, but living near the university, having a lot of friends who are basketball fans of Kansas, at least. I, I wonder how much they feel like this is a Mark Mangino hire. Like you go get the guy who's like more established instead of going after, like you said, a young guy. We have been banging the table for them to go to the triple option route. We had Jim Nagy on, who's the executive director of the senior bowl. He said the same thing. And I will still grade this as an A-plus hire for Kansas, though, because Les Miles is too good for Kansas. Definitely. Way too good. This is yeah, the it hot feels girl that dating the funny guy. Like, it, it, it's way—I I, I don't think he's going to win there because I don't think anyone can, but he's at least going to make them maybe credible in a Big 12 that's down right now. I think he can recruit really well, and that's the most important thing to gather here is the talent on Kansas has just been really poor. I mean, guys, this is a team— that since 2010 has not won more than three games in a season. I mean, that's insane. Their last, uh, 2009, they had five wins. That's the last time they won more than three games in a season. In 2015, they didn't win a game. So uh, this is they're just this is a good hire in a sense where it is an upgrade. And it does, like you said, Matt, it establishes a sense of credibility. And most importantly, it will improve the recruiting I don't think this is the move that takes Kansas to it makes them, you know, a winning program, especially where they play. But when it comes down to it, it's not a bad hire. It's just not a very exciting one in my eyes. It's it's one of those situations where like Butch Davis, who was a really good coach a long time ago, he's still coaching. He's at FAU. <laughs> this is going to be what Les Miles is. Yeah. In a couple of years, somebody's going to see it scroll across and be like, holy shit. Les Miles is the coach at Kansas. I had no idea (laughs) he was still around. It's going to be a situation like that. Um, But whatever. Congratulations to you. Let's stick with triple option football here because the Citadel played their balls out against Alabama. Kept it close for a half. I would have hated, hated to be in that locker room with Nick Saban when you're tied with Citadel at halftime. How did you like? Did you see their Twitter account, though? They had some fun with this stuff. Tweet, tweeting at LSU, we scored on Alabama. It's not that hard at Mississippi State. Like they're going after like the big dogs in the SEC, like just talking shit 
Like, and then uh, Alabama did no score November and Citadel retweeted it and was like, not anymore. Like, <laughs> I loved that. Like, if you're the little guy on the block, you got to know when it's okay to run your mouth. And that's when you're, it's okay. They got real, real quiet in the second half yesterday. Yeah, third quarter rolls around. <laughs> Obviously, things change there. But it is funny because you want to go into every game and say, yeah, we're going to win this thing. But you have to know when you're Citadel that you're going up against Alabama. It's a, it's a little bit of a different breed they have there. But like you said, Melo. We have been saying all along, a triple option team, if you commit to it, if you're saying we're going to be a triple option team, whether it's Navy, Air Force, Georgia Tech, whoever it is, that's what the Citadel is. And they gave Bama fits. I mean, they were scoring. They scored 17 points. I think that goes to show that not, not that Alabama has a weakness against triple option. They just had to adjust to it. And they did. But if a team were to do this, like a Kansas, you could have success with it because it, it is very hard to stop. If Alabama is struggling to prepare for the triple option, <laughs> then everyone is going to struggle to prepare for the triple option. And if you go back to the Kansas higher thing, I don't think that running the triple option is going to make you a 12-0 and team contending for the playoff. But if you look at what Johnson's doing at, down at Georgia Tech, that's a team that, yeah, maybe they go 6-6 six and six every once in a while. But they also play for SEC championship games. They've been in two or three since he's been there. And it's just because... Teams can't prepare for it. So maybe you don't get the high-end recruits because, like Khalil Tate, he didn't come to school to run the triple option, but you can get some good quality wins and some you know control-the-clock type wins there. Uh, so be, the Citadel being able to do it against Alabama, it was a great story, but it kind of ran short. Yeah, I, I think when it comes down to it, schools have to accept. They have to draw a line in the sand. Do we want to try to keep up and run with the big dogs and produce NFL talent? Or do we want to position ourselves better to win or be competitive in football games? I think that's ultimately the argument with the triple option offense because it will turn turn away certain high caliber recruits. But like you guys said, I mean, Army gave Oklahoma a serious issue with this. We saw the Citadel now with Alabama. There's a big argument to be had running that kind of offense. And I, I was just really impressed. And to show you the difference between these teams... NFL scouts throw this game out when they watch all the Alabama players like the Citadel is not even film. They usually won't even waste their time with that kind of film to show you the difference in talent. So I know it's just one half, but we got to tip our cap maybe a little early, maybe a $50 handshake to the Citadel this week. <laughs> right. There it is. There it is. Uh, other news. We can run through this stuff quickly because a lot of it's just bullshit. Condoleezza Rice, head coach of the Cleveland Browns. What? I woke up and saw this and the fact that Jalen Ramsey was on the trade block. And I was so glad I was reading Twitter on the toilet because otherwise I would have pooped my pants. There's no way <laughs> either of those things should happen. There's no way that you can hire Condoleezza Rice to be the head coach of the Browns. Here's the weird part of this story. And I said we weren't going to get into it. Now I'm getting into it. Adam Schefter is the one who reported this. He retweeted the re like them refuting his report. And was like, oh, well, I guess that's that. Schefter, what happened it, to you today, buddy? Yeah, did he like it, get mixed up? Did somebody on Twitter accidentally get him? Or somebody slide oh. into his tweets? I don't no, know. I'll tell you what happened. The Haslam's probably told him this. Well, we all know that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dorsey was the one that came out and shot it down. I don't think John Dorsey enjoys working with Jimmy Haslam. I could. So, I'm sure, yeah, I mean, I'm sure the Haslam said this to Schefter and... Schefter's the best in the business. He never, ever misses, and a lot of people did consider this a miss. And, and I think the Browns, you know, and both parties, I mean, Rice and Dorsey both came out and were like, yeah, this isn't happening. And just to clarify with everyone, 
nobody's calling this crazy because it's a woman candidate. It, it's the resume and the experience. Because there's been, you know, women assistant coaches in the league, and you would never hear them mentioned in this yet. And this is just a matter of, hey, you know, is she qualified? And obviously she doesn't even feel that she is herself. She considers herself a Browns fan. So it was an interesting wake up. I, I was out really late Saturday. I saw Jack White. And uh, when I woke up Sunday, I, I like had to rub my eyes 95 times to get through some of the headlines <laughs> to make sure I wasn't like being fooled. Yeah, And you do hit the nail on the head there. It's not about her being a woman. Nobody cares about that. There are. NFL head coach or NFL coaches that are female, but they've also been coaches before. They've experienced some football. This is a woman who is on a committee. Yes, congratulations. You watch football and determine who the best team is. And there's even questions about that. So it is nothing about gender here. It's all about resume with her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's good, it, Connor. It probably bothered some of the w- women that feel they're better candidates because they've been in coaching before. I think that's what where it's frustrating is it's like, well, you know, let's take a better step forward with this. I would love if there's more woman candidates, but you got to really start with the people that have been, uh, you know, I don't want to say interning because they've been more than that, but, you know, putting in the time at working their way up from the bottom. Yeah. I was telling Mello before we recorded the Niners have uh, an assistant coach named Katie Sowers. And she's like, that's a legitimate candidate that we could talk about in a year or two after she does have more time. You know, Jen Welter was with the Cardinals. It was the first one in there. Uh, Catherine Smith, uh, I think she's with the Bills. Uh, as, and she's like a special teams quality control coach. Like, it's not that's just a, like it's a, a serious role. Exactly. Like, it's not just like a, you know, oh, it's like a token role. Like, no, she's fucking coaching. So she's not over there just charting plays. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, Raiders have a strength and uh, they have a strength conditioning coach. Uh, the Raiders do. Uh, yeah. And so there's four that I know of. I was counting in my head. Sorry. There's four that I know of. So, uh, yeah, I, and I don't know that it's insulting to them, but I'm sure they're looking at it like, man, like hopefully we get a shot and it's not like, you know, just, uh, let's just say that we're going to hire a female coach and it's Condi Rice who has nothing to do with football. Uh, West Virginia loses. I sang country roads and they still lost. Womp. So, That's great news, though, because if you look at the way that the Big 12 is going to shake out, West Virginia plays Oklahoma this coming weekend. The winner of that game goes to the Big 12 championship. And if Texas can pull off a victory against the Kansas Jayhawks, they also go to the Big 12 championship game. So that is thank you so much, Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State. You did us a solid here. So go Cowboys, whatever it is you guys say up there. Poke them. Sure. But thank you because uh, now we do have some excitement here in the Big 12, and hopefully Texas doesn't shit the bed. They can beat Kansas. They have struggled with that in the past. We won't get into that. Yeah. But West Virginia, Oklahoma, that is going to be one hell of a game now because it really does matter. Uh, Gundy says (laughs) to uh, West Virginia this week. That's what he does. So Big 12 shakeup there. God, I thought we cursed another team with watching Ohio State, Maryland. I was sitting in the press box <laughs> streaming the game and um, everyone was. I mean, the press box obviously was full because it's Yankee Stadium. Notre Dame and Syracuse have both been excellent this year. And everybody's watching that game <laughs> because it was so intense. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me again. <laughs> like every time we go see a team, they lose leading up to it. LSU did it. I think... Uh, didn't TCU do TCU it? Did I mean, it. Texas is the only team oh. that didn't, and we went the opener. So, <laughs> yeah, because you went so early, so that's why well, we have to get no. there. 
They oh, lost to Maryland. Maryland. <laughs> Fuck, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Oops. That was when everyone's like, oh, so much for them being back. So <laughs> it was ridiculous. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about being at Yankee Stadium, a really cool experience. Uh, Notre Dame, really impressive. I'm just going to come out and say it. I remember on one of the preview shows in August or the first week of September, I said, this is an overrated football team. And I, I know I wasn't alone in thinking that like in the like in the college football media world. They're just impressive right now because Ian Book, a guy that is going to get a $100 handshake from me, runs the offense so well. The defense is really tough. That's a good Syracuse team, and they lost Eric Dungy early in the game, but their backup quarterback, Tommy DeVito, is no slouch. So a really cool experience being at the Shamrock Series, but besides the awful uniforms for each side, what an absolute disaster that was. But I'm really excited to watch this Notre Dame team, assuming they're in the playoff now. They have one win left. If they can just beat USC uh, this coming weekend, I think that they will definitely be in. I don't see how right. uh, the committee would take them from like a three to a five, no matter what happens if they win. So if they win, they're in. I think right now most of the controversy is around the fourth spot, assuming that Alabama takes care of business, that, that Clemson takes care of South Carolina, Notre Dame wins. It's will it be Michigan or Georgia in the fourth spot? Like that's at least what I've read as of Sunday morning. So if we're going to see controversy, it probably rests right there. Um, let's get into these $100 handshakes, though, uh, because we have we have a, a good group of them this week. I'm going to start with Maryland running back Anthony, and I'm nicknaming this dude Baby Booger McFarland. He Love went it. off against Ohio State, and they did slow him down somewhat in the second half, but it, his ability as a redshirt freshman running back was eye-opening. He had a 75-yard touchdown run. Uh, it looked great. I think he had what two eighty or something rushing yards total. I think he was, yeah, like two ninety eight, like two fifteen yeah. in the first. Two ninety eight with two fifteen in the first half. Weirdly, did not catch a ball though. Like he was doing that good as a running back. They barely threw the ball in the first half. Yeah, they were very gimmicky in their offense. Um, you know, a lot of motion away and then run to the yes. wide side of the field. It almost felt like a high school team. And then every once in a while, they'd chuck it deep. Uh, but it was working for them. You know, you lose to Ohio State. 51 to 52 or whatever it was. That's a good handshake for you. And, and he had 210 the week before against Indiana. So he's ending the year on a high note. Yeah, with some that'll be good momentum for him and his team going forward. I hope Matt Canada keeps that job. Same. Me too. Wow. What a I mean, what an awful situation to have to take over. And he's really made the best of it. I'll go next here. I'm going back to the well again because this guy is quietly having a fantastic season. And he has got to get to New York and be a Heisman candidate. He is 1,800 yards on the season right now, and I believe 15 touchdowns. I'm going with Jonathan Taylor. He went for 321 yards and three touchdowns this weekend. He is a guy that everyone, including us, was talking about as a Heisman candidate. He was even our favorite early in the season, and he is still getting the job done. Every week he's doing things. It just sucks that his team has four losses this year. That's what I was going to say. I almost tweeted this on Saturday. Is If they hadn't been so bad this year— we would be talking about Jonathan Taylor every week. He had one subpar game. He went for 46 yards against Northwestern on only 11 carries. So he's still averaging over defense. four yards carry. Yeah, very good defense. But he has been amazing all season long. So I'm glad that you did this. And yeah, it's Purdue, but still, he did. He's been amazing all year. Only one game under 100 yards, and that was Northwestern. Yeah, that's insane. It's good to see Jonathan Taylor right out, you know, in the front or at least in the pack of the Heisman candidates here. So I already said Ian Book from the Shamrock series game, but Alohi Gilman, the safety from Notre Dame, two interceptions, 
I mean, man, this guy just makes plays. The range over the top, the ability to come downhill and force the ball out and take it away, the return after the interception, the second interception, a really, really impressive day for the junior safety for the Irish. I think now that Notre Dame, and I know they're always really in the picture of primetime because they're always on TV, but they'll be playing in some really big football games coming up. And if you want to keep an eye on a guy on defense that's not Julian Love or Jerry Tillery, this is the guy. And that's exactly what happened for me watching that game. It, your eyes are always on love and Tillery, like you said, but for him to come out and play the way that he did was very impressive this weekend. Yeah, it, it really was. And and like, Connor, you were saying earlier, and I wanted to jump in on this. You're not the only one on this podcast who doubted Notre Dame, buddy. Far <laughs> from it. So don't feel too bad about well, one yourself. One of us didn't even have them in the top 25. Watch them lose to USC, an awful USC <laughs> yeah. team. I would I just like, sit there like, mother. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it on this podcast. Second $100 handshake for me. Uh, someone I've highlighted in some of my articles, Andy Isabella, wide receiver from UMass, went off for 15 catches, 219 yards, and two TDs. Uh, small school guy. But he is incredibly fast. Like, I'm projecting he runs a low 4-3 when we get to the combine. Very athletic. He's also like a a strong physical route runner. This is not a dude that's going to get jammed easily at the line of scrimmage. And he is a straight-up vertical stretch nightmare. So I know he's a small school dude, but his production's impressive, and his traits are too. I am hoping and praying we get to see him at the Senior Bowl. I like that pick, too, and he's a guy that I have not watched a whole lot. I'll just be completely honest because he goes to UMass, and he's a little receiver. Uh, A team that you do have to watch every weekend, and obviously for us, we all three did, Ohio State. I'm going to give another $100 handshake here to J.K. Dobbins because he was able to carry the load with Mike Weber out, and he took the ball for 37 carries and 203 yards He bailed his team out there. They relied on him a lot. So good on him to be able to take the rock. And that's impressive to be able to see a true sophomore carry the load like that. We don't see that much anymore. So for him to do that and keep his team in a close game was awesome. Did Mike Weber die? I was hurt this week. He was on the sideline. He was even dressed out. So I don't know if it was uh, an injury or if it was an air quotes injury. A wink, wink injury. Yeah, but he did not play. And J.K. Dobbins was able to carry the load for both of them. I'm going to keep it with Ohio State here, and we're not just buttering them up because we're going there next week to hang out with all the OSU fans, but a a guy that has run into, really been tested finally, and Dwayne Haskins, I think he quietly kind of had an underrated game. I know he threw the interception, but he still had six touchdowns and over 400 yards, and I think the most important thing was when they needed to get down the field in crunch time, he looked really comfortable, just a certain kind of feel in the pocket. I don't know if Haskins has established himself as this, you know, legitimate top quarterback prospect yet. I think he deserves more time to prove himself if he can get into that category. But if he does declare for the draft and Matt, I know you have said that you've heard he plans to assuming, you know, something really abruptly changes. He's probably going to go in the second round of the draft, which because of how well he's played all year. Yeah, I could see him shooting into the first just with a good you know, pre-draft process, we we all know that what happens from January to April is sometimes what matters the most. So I, I also want to give credit to him. I have been hard on Dwayne Haskins because we are looking at him as maybe a QB1 in this class. So you have to put that dude under a sharp spotlight. And I've thought there were times he had poor decision-making and, and the interception was definitely one yesterday, but uh, he was also big in clutch moments. He really was. So I'm glad to, to hear you give credit to him. Last one for me. Y'all know I love mustaches. Gardner Minshew, not only does he have a great mustache, he threw for seven touchdowns against Arizona, 473 yards, completed 78% of his passes, 
I, I get asked a lot about this guy as a draft prospect. I still think he's a day three type guy who's probably a really good NFL backup, but I love the way he's playing in that Mike Leach offense. It, he is obviously is doing great things here. He probably deserves a trip uh, to New York as well, depending on how many guys they send. But you're right. He's still a Washington State quarterback. And right. running that system, we've really only seen one guy come out of it, and that's Pat Mahomes. He was pretty damn special with a very strong arm. So, yeah, he's throwing up numbers. He's doing great as a college quarterback. There's a reason why he's a senior first-year starter, and this is the first time you're hearing him. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, then, my final. Yeah, sorry. I'll go, I'll ahead, go next. Uh, last guy for me is very small school guy. Uh, he's a freshman, though. I'm going with Dante Smith because this dude put 130 yards and two touchdowns on Alabama. So somebody from that game had to get some money because they were doing things very special in the first half. So congratulations to you. They probably need the money down in Citadel. <laughs> on nine carries, too. Man, that is like, that's a hell of a game. That's the game he'll talk about for the rest of his you life. You have to against... run the triple option. Yeah. All guys against that'll be in the NFL, literally the entire Alabama defense. <laughs> My last $100 handshake, and, and I'm giving out a couple of thousand for this one. Tom Herman's wife, Michelle, oh, wearing, baby. Sh- wearing the <laughs> okay, cool, hook em shirt, walking off the field. That is a ride or die wife. Absolutely loved it. I mean, what a ballsy move. That's the best troll job that anybody has ever done. Like it really going is. after the guy who's talking shit on your husband and saying that like he's a cheater and he's sleeping around and then you just come at him with a t-shirt at the game even. This isn't even like, oh, she posted on Instagram that she has it. She's wearing it at the game for senior night and DKR. And you know the players love it too. So uh, yeah, absolutely hat tip to her. That's awesome. Uh, and hat tip to our boy Connor because our interview today is fucking badass. We have Darrell Rivas <laughs> on the show And I just want to go ahead and update the folks who've wondered on my all-time corners list because I know that this gets heavy. Number one, Charles Woodson. Number two, Champ Bailey. Number three, Darrell Rivas. Number four, maybe Eric Allen. I don't know. Maybe Deion Sanders. That's where I'm leaving the list. (laughs) Can't wait to hear this interview that Connor has with Darrell Rivas, though. And before we get to it, I just want to let everyone know my uh, top five corners list. It's only three because I feel like only three deserve it. Uh, number one is Rex Ryan, Darrell Rivas. Number two is Tampa Bay Bucks, Rivas. And three is Super Bowl champion Patriots, Rivas. I'm just not even going to say mine because uh, Dion's number one, and that will turn into a whole debate that will last 30 minutes. All right, guys, welcome back to Stick to Football. Now I'm very happy to be joined by Darrell Rivas, former New York Jets legend. I'm not going to call him a Patriots legend because I'm a Jets fan. I'm being a little selfish here. But Darrell is joining me thanks to PointsBet today. So, Darrell, first off, how are you doing? And what are you working on with uh, PointsBet here as the sports betting world becomes bigger than ever? First and foremost, it's it's an honor. You know, this is actually my first business venture, you know, uh, post-retirement. So I'm really excited to, uh, you know, partner up with PointsBet. So uh, PointsBet and I, um, you know, we'll be creating some educational, insightful content. You know, uh, we have two uh, content videos that we're going to do in terms of Revis Betting Academy, where we'll feature a series of videos that will include an overview on basic bets. And then also sports bettors can take advantage of Darrell's Corner, where I myself would do a weekly segment on breaking down key NFL games to help sports bettors 
pick their favorite teams or, or, or betting picks. Was getting into uh, analysis something that you thought would always be for you after football, or was this more of just kind of the right opportunity and interest at the time? Um, you know, there's been opportunities for me, you know, to to be a TV analyst, and um, you know, I'm gradually going in that direction. So joining PointsBet is is something that um can can help me as, as I grow in this in this industry. That's awesome. So. Time to talk a little football here, too, of course. You were the undisputed top cover corner in the NFL for a very long time. We've heard all the talk from Jalen Ramsey, who a lot of people consider the one of the top corners in today's game. Who do you think holds the title, though, right now as the best corner in football? The best corner right now, uh, Xavier Rose is really is really nice. I like his game. Jalen is, is really nice. Um Patrick Peterson, uh, Richard Sherman is, is 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 after his Achilles. He's come on strong. It's, it's a lot of guys, man. It's a lot of guys out there. But I do like Patrick Peterson and Xavier Rhodes. I do like those two guys. There was a long stretch where you were assigned each team's wide, top wide out week after week. I'm sure people ask you all the time, who was the toughest guy you ever had to cover? But that's not what I want to know. Who did you have the most fun lining up against? I would have to say Chad Ochocinco. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> What's the most absurd thing he ever said to you? Uh, uh, only because he asked me, I think one time out, he asked me, what did I have for breakfast, to, uh, you know, prior to the game? <laughs> and I said, I said, I said, come on, man, with all of that. He said, he said, no, man, I'm just really trying to ask you what you eat for breakfast. I want to know. <laughs> so I, I, I just, I kind of blew him off because uh, we were competing. But when after the game, you know, when you, when you replay the, the game in your mind and you're like, did he really say that during like crunch time? <laughs> so I'll say Chad Ochozinko. And you guys had a significant playoff matchup, which like shows you how light, he keeps it on the field and a lot of people knew you as more of a quiet guy. Is that a wrong way to assess you? Did you talk on the field and a lot of people just didn't catch it or were you pretty quiet throughout the game? Uh, it's too much energy. Uh, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know how Chad finds the energy to do it. Um, <laughs> but he's, you know what? He's a, he's a natural. He's really a natural at it. And um, I think that's just too much uh, wasted energy for me. So I just really focus on my job if somebody can like starts to trash talk with me, then I definitely am to speak up um, and engage into it. But rarely I wouldn't start it. Usually when you play against guys like Chad or Josinko, I think DeAndre uh, Hopkins uh, is is one of those guys too, where he's he's trash talks a lot too. So those type of guys, I mean, it's 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 fun for the game. It's excitement. It's competition. So. Speaking of trash talk, obviously you really started to blossom under Rex Ryan, a guy that did a lot of the talking for his team, but then you went on to win a Super Bowl under Bill Belichick from a defender's perspective, because we know about Tom Brady and Gronkowski and all those guys, but as a defender that played for Bill Belichick, what is it that makes him so special? His dry humor. <laughs> really? So he is kind of funny. <laughs> his, his dry humor. What you see on TV is actually not the real Bill Belichick. Bill has dry humor. Um, he's really, 
he's kind of that motivational guy. He walks around with his whistle and, you know, doing walkthroughs and uh, pregame. And he, he talks, he's, he's actually a trash talker <laughs> in, in, in a motivational way. Like, Hey, you know, Hey, Hey, Darrell, like you're not covering Calvin Johnson this week. And you're like, what deal? Like you, you're surprised to hear from him. Like what? Okay. And then like, he was like, yeah. So what you going to do? And I'm like, I'm going to shut him down. <laughs> and he, was like, he was like, well, we'll see you come Sunday, you know? So he's, he's one of those guys that's just really like, when you talk about motivating, uh, probably one of the best motivators in the game and in, in, of all the sports. I mean, he's, he's going to get you ready to go. He's going to get you ready to play. So this show has always advocated for players to get every last dollar they can. And, and you were really an innovator in this era at doing that. Now we're seeing Le'Veon Bell, a running back, sit out the entire year, hoping to do the same. Do you think he's made the right decision as somebody that can really speak to it? Because you've, in a sense, been in his shoes before. He can only make the right decision if he gets what he deserves come this offseason. Um, he's looking for a long-term deal with a ton of guaranteed money. It seems like he wants to be paid as a running back and also as a receiving back. So that those numbers are, are yet for us to see with uh, the decision he made in terms of not signing the franchise tag for 14.5 million. I don't think that was the, the right move to disregard the 14.5 million um, because you could capitalize on the 14.5 this year and then still go into free agency as an unrestricted free agent and get your long-term deal. So, like I said, I don't think uh, for him to make the decision to miss the whole year, I don't think that was very, uh, very smart on, on him and who's advising him. But we'll see. I don't know. People saying that, hey, he can make it up in the long term. You can never make up money that you've never yep. had before. <laughs> yep. So I just feel like he could have capitalized on the 14.5 and then also else got a long-term deal. With, the, with with some more money as well, with the Brinks trucks uh, backing up. So yeah, because uh, yeah, you were always a guy too that really never had a problem playing on a front loaded deal. Because uh, was that because you knew that you would back it up on the field and just continue to string along year after year of top guaranteed money? Is that more of a confidence in yourself? Is that why you know you were willing to take the risk of playing on the big one year essential kind of deals? That was definitely the the approach is to to have confidence in yourself and take that risk and knowing what can happen if it doesn't go as planned, you know, in terms of, hey, if you get injured, well, it's just, the injury can be a setback. But I understand what, what Le'Veon is really trying to do, and, and I know he's trying to help the, the probably the running back market as well. But at the same time, the way that he's going about his business is not a smart move on his way. You want to take the risk to sit out the whole year. That's fine. I remember in one of my contracts, uh, my second deal with the, uh, with the New York jets under Rex Ryan. And we had those negotiation um, talks. There was times where the, the thought came up, well, I'm going to just sit out for the whole year. But when you really think about it, you don't want to sit out for the whole yeah. year. You feel me? Like, you want to be able to play the game you love, and and, and it's too it's, it's 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 a saying that we have like 
two things out of this business. You want to win championships and make as much as money as you can. Of course. (laughs) It's your job. (laughs) Right. So during that time, there was those, hey, we might have to sit, you might have to sit out for a whole year. And then it's like, well, no, you got to push the envelope. Come on, guys. I know you're advising me, but let me help you guys out. I want to play. You know, I want, this is something I love. I want to play. So can we figure something out? And once, once the two sides agree to something, then everybody's happy. You know, everybody's yep. really happy that you're back on the team. But the way he's going about it, about this situation, I feel like he's is not the maybe my because it, it can devalue in a way. You know, yep. it, it, it really can with other teams out there, other organizations. If you go to a new team, they're going to look at it as was well, he going to do the same thing to us? In that type of sense, so he has to be, and it's his own decision. He's he's taking it's his own career, but it, it could come back and it could come back and bite him pretty bad if it doesn't work out the way he wants it to. Yeah, and one of the last things I wanted to ask you, you kind of alluded to it. What's it like being at home while the team is together? And, and I know you came back. I mean, I live in New York. I grew up a Jets fan. I remember what it was like when you came back to camp. But what's it like being at home and you see all those headlines? Do you just tune that out and trust the agents representing you? Or deep down, does it hit a point where it does become frustrating because you want to be on the field? The two things I did in in, in my holdouts. uh, (laughs) One, don't turn on the TV. Any sports, media outlet, don't turn it on. Uh, Two, you got to be a caveman. You got to stay in hibernation. You got to, I would train and come straight home. If I even walk down the street or be anywhere in a grocery store or wherever, somebody would ha- say something about wow. my situation. So right now, you know, Le'Veon Bell is under a microscope. Even for the remainder of, of the year, he's going to be under a microscope because he's not. He's one of the best players in the league, and he's not actually on the field with his team. So at this time, anything he does, if he go out to dinner, if he goes to eat, people are going to be bombarding him and trying to ask some questions as to, you know, his situation of why are you not on the field? And he's making a he's making a gutsy he's making a gutsy move. He is. Wow. Well, Darrell, thanks so much for joining me today. Really enjoyed that. A, a lot of insight from honestly no one that could speak to it more than you. So really enjoyed that and just want to say thanks again. Oh, thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks to our guy, Darrell Rivas, and thanks to Connor for holding down the fort while Melo teaches people. And I, I don't know what I was, I'm probably doing something important. Connor probably just didn't even tell you. He just wanted that one off the phone. Probably. Probably. I almost didn't. I really almost didn't. It's like, <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, uh, we have Darrell Rivas. Here's the audio file. So we have a ton of draft on draft questions and I have good news. In the month of December, we are going to do an com- entire show that is draft on draft questions. You guys send in so many every week, and we feel bad that we can't answer them all. We don't want to leave anyone out. So we will announce it ahead of time. But in December, probably close to Christmas, our gift to you will be a draft on draft show. So a lot of them. And a lot of people do ask all the time. I get this in my DMs. Like, where do I submit draft on draft questions? Really anywhere. 
You don't even have to ask me where you submit them. Just send them to my inbox and we'll get them. The easiest thing for you to do, though, is use our hashtag draft on draft. Send them to me. Send them to our stick to football account. Send them to Matt, wherever you want. We have Instagram. We have Reddit. Wherever you want, we will get your question. iTunes reviews. Everywhere. The only favor I will ask. I love that you guys DM me and it's cool that we have like private conversations. It helps us as a brand so much. If you will actually tweet at us, though, just put the hashtag draft on draft and we'll find it like it DMs are fine. It, but my my ask would be like, go ahead and tweet at six football. Help us grow that account a little bit. That's so, that's great because also people can like it and they can retweet it. And yeah. then if we see if your question is getting a lot of buzz on Twitter, we know that's what the people want to hear. Exactly. Here's what people want to hear. Jarrett Joldersma. Hey, Matt, been listening for a while, but first time asking any draft on draft questions. I have two questions about the coaches of two teams I root for. First, do you think it's time for Iowa to move on from Kirk Ferentz and look for a new coach to get them over the hump? And second, how long do you think Matt Rule stays at Baylor? I'm worried he may start to have success and jump ship, as it seems Matty Campbell may do at ISU. I'm mostly confused that this guy roots for Baylor and Iowa. That's how I was confused, too. But, you know, whatever. Maybe you... Have a team that you went to school at, got your undergraduate, whatever. Might have a wife, too, that's an alumni. So you never know. Um, I'll jump in real quick here, guys. Uh, I I don't really have a strong take on the Iowa one because I think Ferentz is fine. Like, I'm not dying to move on from him. It it feels like just a, you know, because they've done some really good things. I think they're limited by the, like, they're not going to be Alabama, but Iowa's a really, really good program. But more importantly, I'm really interested in answering the second one. I think Rule and Campbell are both NFL guys. I think Campbell will be in the NFL next year. I think Rule will be in the NFL within three years. I like Matt Rule, too, and I was actually kind of upset that he took the Baylor job uh, because I don't like Baylor because they're another one of those not really a Texas schools. Uh, But the football program there should not even probably exist anymore. But Matt Rule is a very good coach, so I do think that he is going to have – I don't even know if he's going to have success – or that people are just going to start appreciating what he can do as a coach, and then maybe he moves on. And as far as Kurt Ferentz, who are you going to replace him with? Right. That's Iowa. That right. I, I love Same. the Hawkeyes. Not very many people are beating down that door to get into Iowa, and you have a coach that is going to get you to contend for the Big Ten West every single year. That's the thing. I Matt think Bowen. Right, right, Matt. But I, okay, I'm in support of that. But I think with Iowa, like they know who they are. They know they're not Michigan. They know they're not Ohio State. But there are years they're going to beat those guys, and, and there are years they're going to dominate the Big Twelve or Big Ten West. So uh, I, I think that yeah, they know who they are. And Kirk Ferentz has been there forever. And one thing that's very important to the University of Iowa is consistency. Like other than Hayden Fry, they've had like, I mean, they've basically had two coaches in the last 50 years. So I think that's important to them. I can't see them moving on. Uh, next question from Jay Devine. Thoughts on Les Miles to Kansas. Uh, David Beatty brought in some fairly talented guys such as Puka Williams, but how does Miles elevate this team or does he at all? We kind of touched on that earlier. I'm bringing this up. I, I want to do a quick prediction. How many games does Kansas win in 2019? Two. Ooh. Yeah, I, I say I'm with Mello. I would take the under if it's if it's set at three. He needs his guys in there, and right now they don't have those guys. So I don't. I think when he gets his guys, they'll be like a six win program. Okay, someone remind me of this one year from now. I'm gonna say four, and we should bet on this. This we, is Kansas. It's Kansas. I'm gonna say four wins. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll bet on it. They're gonna win less right than. High. I'll go with Connor. Uh, if the you know over under you set it at two and a half, I would probably take the under. <laughs> 
Oh God, it's so bad. All right, we're sorry, Jay, not to crush your your Kansas. I love. do like Puka I mean, Williams. Things will get better. This next one from George West: Who in the 2019 cornerback class will be the risers and fallers as the draft gets closer? Uh, for me, and I know he's already been on the rise. I think Byron Murphy from Washington will be a lot closer to Greedy Williams than people realize. Uh, I'm not going to steal who I know. I already know who Matt wants to talk about, and I'm just going to let him take and, it away from well, here. <laughs> you know, Connor, you took my guy, so I don't even know anymore. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's pretty selfish of me, honestly. I, <laughs> I'll tell you, I can't believe that Trayvon Mullen is not getting a lot that, more talk. I mean, what? That was f- who I knew. Fucker. I knew you were going like, to run with that one. I don't know why. I don't understand it. He has size. He has ball skills. He has athleticism. Uh, I, I'm going to ride or die with Trayvon Mullen from Clemson. Uh, 6'1", 195 pounds, a very, very athletic. I think it's just one of those things where like teams aren't talking about him, so a lot of the other analysts aren't picking up on it. And and he doesn't have great stats because no one throws at him. But watch the Duke game. Watch what they did against Daniel Jones. He is a very good player. And he gets to see some of the best receivers in the nation every day at practice. Yes. Yeah, very good. I- I think the uh, the Kentucky secondary, too. Keep an eye on all of those guys. I think all of them have been yeah. pretty good this year, and they're not being talked about as legitimate prospects right now. And I think I think all three could easily be drafted. If I have to one second to pick a faller, I think both Ohio State guys are going to fall. I and, think and they already have. Exactly. Yeah. I get oh, asked a yeah. lot on Twitter, like, why do you still rank these guys in the top 10 corners? Well, being ranked in the top 10 corners doesn't mean that I think you're a great player. And I know at one point I may have put one of them late in a mock draft, but that's more of just trying to get as many corners as there are needs. I don't think either guy, I'm looking at my board right now, Neither Kendall Sheffield nor Damon Arnett are in my top 50 as it stands right now. So, I mean, they both are probably better than how they've played as of late. That whole defense has sucked. I mean, they've just been it's, horrible it's been lately. Terrible. And you can't put all that on those dudes, but they do need to eat some of the blame for it. So, uh, just they're the if there's a faller, it's definitely them right now. Uh, Alex Tremlin, 87. Thanks for the question. I really enjoyed this one. I went to Clemson versus BC on Saturday, and it was my first time going to a college game. I could not get over how long Cleveland Farrell's arms were and how quick and how thickly built Zach Allen was. He is a tank. Uh, I'm throwing that in there. That's not written in, but I know you must have seen a few. But who are the guys who shocked you the most when you've seen them in person? So, uh, number one, I I love both points he makes because I really like both of those prospects this year. Uh, I could go on all day about this one, but just this year, David Montgomery, when he walked out for the coin toss against TCU, I was like, he is every fucking bit of 230 pounds. I mean, good Lord. He is thick, low to the ground, compact, muscular build. I know he's not Saquon Barkley, but he's built exactly the same way where it's like, okay, 5'11", 230, low to the ground, a nightmare to tackle because of that compact power. Yeah, I'll go with some maybe not so much on the radar guys, but when we went to the University of Texas, uh, they were gracious enough to just let us walk around the locker room, and they have a linebacker by the name of Malcolm Roach there who runs at about 270 pounds. He looks like he's 300 pounds, but if you watch the dude play, he can move very well. I didn't even I couldn't believe it was him uh, because I I didn't think he would be that big. And also Charles Minihu is another guy who has incredibly long arms, just a lot of length. And when you see him in the locker room, he he looks a little bit leaner, but he actually weighs in at about 260. So he's got good size on him too. Those two guys both surprised me when I saw them very close and personal. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are, are two great ones. Uh, for me, probably Devin White was the one, the LSU linebacker, where like you know someone's a great athlete, but seeing it in person, just you're able to 
I, I don't know. It just, there's something to it where it was just like, holy shit, like this guy is so fast and explosive. And, and to see him play against that Georgia team, you really got a feel for just the type of special, special athlete that he is. But this does happen every year. It's why we go to games. I mean, I remember last year, Connor, we were at Rutgers, uh, Ohio State, and you see Denzel oh, Ward, yeah. and you're like, I don't care that he's 5'11". Look how long his arms are and how Down physical he is. And and to this point, I'll add, one thing I've heard uh, when people go through Alabama is that Deontay Thompson, there's like – he looks skinny on TV, but I guess he's like super skinny in person. So uh, yeah, just something to like follow away there. Skinny, yeah, like me fifteen years ago, skinny. So tell him to just start drinking some Natty Light; it'll help. Uh, Ian Young Esquire, no relation to Mellow Esquire, oh, listener from Scotland, definitely no relation. With Washington potentially picking in the twenties, despite average at best quarterback play, can you see them reaching for a quarterback to develop? Well, you well. asked this question, and then your quarterback <laughs> broke his entire leg off. Stick to football curse. So God, it's so bad. Uh, yeah, uh, I never ask now. Sam Darnold questions ever. Anyone, yeah. <laughs> you are not allowed to ask about Sam Allinger. For an entire year. Uh, I could see it even before this injury, but hey, hat tip, our boy Colt McCoy came in, uh, played very, very well with no notice, threw a touchdown on his first play from scrimmage. So you got to give Colt some love. This is actually a spot where I could see our guy Daniel Jones from Duke making a lot of sense because he is going to be, should be in that 15 to 30 range, not a top pick. So he is someone who's athletic. He's accurate. I think he would fit. I'm assuming Jay Gruden comes back. He would definitely fit what they do offensively. I mean, he's yeah. he's a lot like Alex Smith. Yeah. The mobility, the maybe not a really strong arm, but, you know, he can do some things there. Yeah, a polished player. I, I'd love that take. I, I really think that's a good fit. I think this is also a team that you do pencil in looking at guys like Dwayne Haskins and Will Greer, the other two quarterbacks in this really group of four right now, it feels like it's turned into Herbert at the top. And then, of course, Daniel Jones, Haskins, and Greer. So, yeah, and more so than ever, Washington, you, you got to keep an eye on this quarterback class. Um, okay, next one from Cool Clarence. That is a really cool name. Uh, other than Baker and Mahomes, Big 12 quarterbacks haven't had much long-term success in the NFL. This is a popular... A lot of people really always talk about that. But he says, over the last 10 years, do, uh, do you believe this is a fluke, or does the Big 12 style of offense and lack of real defense leave players unprepared for the next level. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, we're seeing some of that change, obviously with right now we have Mahomes and, and Baker playing very well, but you know, before that it, there was this perception that the spread would never work. So whether it was Colt McCoy or Vince young or Ryan Tannehill or Landry Jones, uh, I, I guess going all the way back to really Sam Bradford's probably the last because RG three was more of a spread guy and he just didn't work. So I, I think that's a lot of it. It's just, there's never been an acclimation to the spread in the NFL before, but you know, we could see some of these big 12 guys uh, who are out there right now, maybe become there's, I, I guess Will Greer is, is in the first round conversation right now. And he's, he definitely fits that mold. And I think it's difficult too, because you just took the two best quarterbacks that the big 12 has seen in the last 10 years. And then they were really the first conference that went all in on the, we really don't care how big you are. Can you come in and run our offense? Yeah, you're 6'1", 180. We don't give a shit about that. Just come in. We'll throw the ball around, and you'll win some football games here. And so the Big 12 didn't care, and that doesn't really translate to the NFL. All right, next up from Jake Noah. All right, fellas, I don't usually do hashtag draft on draft questions, but after last night's performance by Minshew, 
Where is he as far as a draft prospect? I like him better than I did Falk, but I'm not sure how much of his success is scheme and how much is him. So, uh, yeah, earlier in the show, Matt talked about this a lot, but just to kind of rehash it, I don't know if I like him better than Luke Falk, actually, but he is probably in that day three mold. I've been very impressed because no one expected this when he when he went there as a grad transfer. And we did talk a lot about it earlier. It's very difficult because he is getting a lot of attention right now. Uh, but he was also, he was at e- ECU. He's played before. His other option instead of Washington State was go be the backup at Alabama. So, yeah. I oh, mean, shit. we weren't talking about him as a prospect for a reason. And now he comes and he's throwing up god-awful numbers and congratulations to him. I just don't know that that is going to be something that the NFL cares about. Yeah, and I the thing with Luke Falk that stood out, you would always hear, like, I don't care that he plays for Mike Leach. This is one of the smartest dudes in the draft class. People, I mean, loved him as you know, kind of a mind. I remember a, a scout texting me after the Titans got him, and they were like, you know, this is going to be the steal of the draft. And, and the Titans actually ended up cutting him, and he's now at the Miami Dolphins. So it was kind of a weird situation. But as a sixth-round pick, people really thought that he was going to be a steal. So far, we haven't seen it. Shit, the Dolphins, uh, if he hadn't been hurt, they, they'd probably be playing him right now. But uh, I would say that uh, the overall, they're very similar as prospects for me. Uh, Jake had one more question. Another one for you as a Titans fan. Would you say wide receiver or edge would be more of a need for them this offseason? I think it's wide receiver. because I, I really like that Harold Landry is going to be that guy for them moving forward. And I think Vrabel is a good enough head coach that he's going to look for someone late in the draft to develop as more of an edge. I think that the receiver core, like we have not seen Corey Davis become uh, consistent. And and even the other guys like Tajay Sharp and Tyler Taylor, like they have, they've really have not developed. And you can put some of the blame on Mariota for holding the ball in the pocket too long, not having the arm strength to throw guys open, but the wide receiver core is also just not that good for them. And the edge class here is going to be very deep. There are going to be a lot of guys that you can probably find in the second or third round. Receiver is going to be probably pretty top heavy. If it's even, if you can even say it's top heavy, it's it's a weak year for receivers. So if you can find one, go get them. Yeah, I think what's interesting here is, are they going to be a team that's willing to spend money? Because there are pass rushers available in this free agency class. Whether you want to go spend big and get. A Dante Fowler. I don't think Demarcus Lawrence is going to hit, but you have, you know, a guy like Trey Flowers, Shaq Barrett. There's guys to go get in free agency if you want to go into the draft looking for that wide receiver. But Melo makes a good point. We haven't seen really a true number one target. We don't know if DK Metcalf is going to declare. I, I really like Kelvin Harmon. I don't know if the Titans will be in range to get him or if they'll yeah. like him as well. So it just depends on strategy. But if you talk about a strength of the offseason, it's edge pass rush in both the free agent class and the draft while receiver there's nothing in free agency and you're going to have to get you're going to have to really look deep in the draft because I, I haven't seen a true number one. There's a lot of nice number twos. I just haven't seen that impact star right now. And what's interesting right now, they would pick number 18 overall. So here's what I would actually That's do. Harmon range. That is Harmon range. I would just trade it to Houston for Jadevian Clowney. They're going to tag him. I would just try to do it. Just, hey, we'll give you 18 and. A two next year. Hey, we want Jadevian Clowney. What about this? If Give the Falcons <laughs> have if the Falcons have contract problems again with Julio Jones, because they really slapped a band-aid on that entire issue. And Julio's amazing, a star. But you know, getting closer to 30, just saying, still a star. Would you trade a lot if you're the Titans for Julio Jones? I would trade 18. I wouldn't trade a lot. Yeah. But I would trade, I would definitely. 
would trade 18 and a three probably. A I think that's a, a really that's a good possibility too. Like people forget about his holdout and how unhappy he oh, was yeah. with the team. And I do oh, yeah. think you're right. If he pulls that stint again this offseason, that they could shop him at least. Man, I'm here I for the Jalen so. Ramsey trade. That's all I just swap them. <laughs> yeah, right. In the division, <laughs> it's a swap. Uh, all right, Ian McGee, <clears throat> two Ians in one week. That's interesting. We all know the CFP needs to be eight teams. How would you select the eight teams? Use Power Five Conference champs and three at large, or what? Um, and I do like the if they say you're going to weight the conference champs, then we got to use all of them, and we really have to give it some weight. So I do like that saying that okay, the five Power Five conferences. Your champion, no matter what their record is, they're getting in. If you're going to eight teams, I do like that. And then, yeah, three at large. Um, if Notre Dame can go undefeated, they should be in there. Right. And then let these schools like UCF, if they can win their conference, go for it. Let them in there as long as they're undefeated in their conference. I like that. I like having I like that a three lot. at large, basically. And like you said, Notre Dame's an automatic. So that's good. And this would also allow for a situation like this year where like Georgia is a one loss team and they're probably going to lose the SEC championship to Alabama. But should they be in there still as a, a two loss team that's very good and just happened to run into Alabama and LSU or um, Ohio State? If they're a two loss team, oh, well, they lost to Michigan and Penn State. Like that's Oklahoma. Oklahoma is a, a good team one. I hate. But man, if yeah, that offense can score points on any defense, including yeah. so, Alabama. I'm, I'm all for that. I would love to see. I know like some like college football like diehards are like, no, it should never be expanded. Like it fours enough. I don't like that. I'm all for fun. Let's have fun. Why not make it? Yeah, and people always make the argument like, oh, if you expand it to eight, then you're just gonna be pissed off that the ninth team didn't get in. Well, you also you're gonna be happy that there were four more teams let right. in. So yeah. Or they it do is- that if it goes to eight, it has to go to sixteen. No, it doesn't. It really yeah. doesn't. You could just stop at eight. Yeah, I mean, no, we I, had I 64 agree. in March Madness for forever. I know that they've got some play on shit going on now, but whatever. Uh, if you get it to eight, I think that is a good number. I would actually like to see March Madness have less teams. Yeah, it, there's too many. Eight's the perfect number for college football because, like you guys just broke it down, you have the conference champs, you have some wild cards in there where the independents like Notre Dame or the undefeateds like UCF do get a chance in there. And you can't make it bigger than that because it, where's the incentive to go undefeated then? I know as a competitor, you want to go undefeated, but I'm just saying right now we have a finish year where like everyone is really walking uh, on a tight, thin rope here. Like Clemson can't lose the South Carolina or Pitt. I mean, they right. still have a chance to get in even if they do. But I, I think that's the beauty of it, where if you have eight, you still have that. Hey, we can't lose more than a game here. Like we can't risk that. But if you start getting into the 16 talk, it's like, all right, like the regular season becomes a lot less impactful. Yeah, just look at Ohio State, Michigan. Like right now, those two teams, they are playing for that top four seed. Lives. If yeah. you expand it to eight, I think they're still playing and, and they want to try to get in because with the loss, they might be out. If you expand that to 16, then it's just like, all right, this is a preview. Both of these teams will be in. So I'm, I'm with you all the way. Make it eight teams. Uh, top five conferences get in, and then three at large. Love it. Uh, I'm taking this next question because I've been practicing this name. Not Mitchell <laughs> Orr's name. He asked the question. Thoughts on Arkansas center, Yelty Froholt. Boom, motherfucker. Nailed it. Wow. <laughs> Woo. Boom. Yelty. 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 That's a great name. I knew that. that I like was Is the H silent or is the J silent or is everything? Is it a plot twist? It's plot a twist. plot twist. 
Yeah. Total plot twist. And he has slid into my DMs and he's asked this question a couple times. I thought times. you meant Yelty head. No, Yelty is? For you. <laughs> but I remember watching him last year. I will be honest with you. I've not watched a whole lot of Arkansas football this year. Uh, but I do remember watching him last year because they had that center uh, prospect that Connor loved so much. Frank the Tank, baby. Yeah, and he took his spot and played center a lot last year, too. So he was impressive. He is a guy that I, I would have to dive in a lot more. More if I were going to give an opinion on him, I have him ranked as a like a round three guy, and he could play like you said anywhere on the interior. He's played center, he's played guard. Um, it's all going to come down to how well we see him perform. Hopefully, at the senior ball in terms of power, moving guys off their spot. But you know, it's it's not a great offensive tackle year, or excuse me, offensive line year. So he could be someone who benefits from that, depending on which guys do come out early. All right, this next one from Bart. Uppa, one of our best listeners, came out for the Combine show last year. Bart Utah. That's, that's, how you, that's how you make us happy. Bring us beer. He wants to know, what's the best strategy to beat Alabama? Any weak points for teams to exploit? Uh, with Alabama, it's as simple as this. Like You got to get a couple lucky bounces, right? You can't, and this is easier said than done, you can't play like in a cover. Sh- like You got to go all out. And I, when I say that, I mean, you got to, Try an onside kick. You got to fake a punt or a field goal, maybe a couple times. Like, you need so many things to bounce your way because they score at will at times, and the defense gives so little. Like, it was 10 10 against the Citadel at half, and everyone's like, this is amazing. And then you blink, and it was 24 10. Like, you blinked. I literally turned away from the stream that I had right. on the press box to look at the field, and it was 24 10. So, you need to get a little lucky to beat this Alabama team. That's it's as simple as that. I think you have to get a lot lucky. And if I were coaching <laughs> here, what I would do is I would blitz the hell out of them because they're either going to beat you or they're not going to do anything. But I mean, they're probably going to beat you anyway. You might as do what might as well do what you can blitz the hell out of them and try to get after Tua. Because if you look at this team, I actually think their weak point is the offensive line. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's weak. Don't come at me and say I said their <laughs> offensive line is bad. I think that's just the weakest link in the chain right now. So I would blitz the hell out of them, try to get after Tua, force some turnovers, or at least rattle them a little bit on offense. And then if I'm on offense, I'm holding that damn ball as long as I can. I'm going to control it, just trickle down the field. And then if I get to a fourth down, you're right, Connor. Take a shot. Go for it on fourth down. Don't kick the field goal. You got to go for points. Run the trick plays. Do your punts. Whatever you got to do, just make play sure you play Alabama have that ball. like you'd play Madden. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> right. Exactly. No, no kicking. So here's what I would do. I would take the uh, probably like a fourth string linebacker, maybe a walk on, and I would say, "Hey, man, you're picking a fight with Tua. You have to do it. You got to get Tua kicked out of this game. That's the only way you're going to win." I'm not advocating don't hurt him, but you need to pick a you fight. You just went Greg Williams. Yeah, for... yeah, yeah. Kill the head, the body dies. Uh, uh-huh. No, you you got to pick a fight with Tua. Otherwise, you, uh, you got no shot. Well, if we're going with that route, then maybe you just take that guy who's not going to play and you say, hey, you see that guy over there, Nick Saban? Right. Uh, I'm going to need you to run a deep, deep out route and just run right at his knees. But like with Saban, I think the damage <laughs> is done by Thursday. Like Probably. they've already won the game. Like you would have to kidnap Nick Saban on Sunday of your game week and like keep him in a dark, dark room. <laughs> Ace Ventura. <laughs> right. Basically. Yeah, get the Dolphins like, to hire him again. Right. That's the only thing you could do. Give him a Drew Brees or Dante Culpepper option, and he'll fuck it up. Uh, Hayden Skirvin, we got two questions left. Hayden Skirvin, if you had to take one coach, one offensive player, and one defensive player to start a team with, 
who would it be? I'm sure Connor's going to take NFL. Melo's going to take college. Yeah, yeah, I will go college sure. here. Um, if you can't bet against Nick Saban, uh, but if I'm going the long haul here to start a team, I love Dabo Sweeney, and I would take him. And if it's an offensive player, I'm probably going to bring his quarterback with me. I know a lot of people might say Tua, but I'm still weirded out by his knee in that whole situation. So I'm going to take Trevor Lawrence, and then I'm going to go down to LSU. And I'm taking Grant Delpit, who does have three more years of eligibility. So I'm going to take him if I can and start a team. They would be lights out. Shit. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to take the mellow route here and think really young, right? I'm not just going to take, you know, Belichick. And Brady here. My coach is going to be Sean McVay. So I have a coach for the next 30 years. My offensive player is Pat Mahomes. And defense, man, that's where things get real You're going to pick Jamal Adams. Just say it. (laughs) Uh, I mean, the swag that the team would have. Mahomes, Jamal Adams, and McVay swagged out. I, oh, man, this is really hard. Like, this is, I'll take Miles Garrett. That's who I would take. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. He's a star pass rusher that's super young. Um, so I know people would say Khalil Mack, but I, I'm just trying to go really, really young here. So my trio, McVay, Mahomes, Miles Garrett. I was going to take Sean McVay as well. So you kind of ruined mine. I like had a list wrote down. So um, if I were going to go that route, uh, I'll do an NFL team. I would actually hire Lincoln Riley as my head coach for the NFL. Ooh. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the dice and be ballsy. Uh, and I also want to get him away from having to play Texas every year, so I help myself a little bit. So uh, I'm going to take Lincoln Riley. I want Jared Goff as my quarterback and my offensive player. Uh, I know, like, if you've taken Mahomes off the board, I'm going to go to Jared Goff. And for a defensive player, I would take Jalen Ramsey. I know that he sometimes runs his mouth a little too much and sometimes gets in trouble. Ugh. I still feel like he's a dominant player at a position where if you have a guy that can control his half of the field, it makes everything different. So Cleo Mack would be way, way up there. Um I'm going to change my answer. It's Cleo Mack. Never mind. I started to think about it. It was like, how many guys are there like Jalen Ramsey? There's a couple. How many guys are there like Cleo Mack? None. So that that's who I would want as my guy. All right. Last question. Welcome back, Joey. That is his name. Welcome back, Joey. If you could make laws for college football, what would they be? These wouldn't be game rules, but things like Notre Dame can only wear gold chrome helmets or UCLA shouldn't be allowed to play in the Rose Bowl if they suck. <laughs> I'm going to go, let's go with this one, and I think it's one that we all agree on. LSU can only play at night. I don't care who the hell they're playing. Yeah. They only play games at night. So I came up with one. I like that, Mellow, because one, it's too fucking hot down there to play during the day. Like It's just too hot, and it's also a great environment for night. The one I came up with was, I hate, you guys know, I'm an old man. I hate all the uniform changes. I, it, I just fucking hate it. So here's my rule. Like, say you're Oregon and you wear your all whites. You are not allowed to change uniforms until you win. So if you wear the all whites at Oregon and you lose, you got to wear that next week. If you lose, you got to wear it the next week. You can't change I like an that. Can't aspect wash of your uniform until you win because I'm fucking tired of it. Well, what about like home versus away? Uh, yeah, that would you just have like two uniform yeah, sets? I guess like, that's you, what it would have to be. Or you, you can't can switch can you, I Can you really wash them? Flush this out, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Mello. Man, I didn't wash my stuff for like three years in high school, so you really don't have to. I mean, practice so I a, stuff, whatever. <laughs> I have a really weird one, and I don't know if this is a law, but I'm going to say it is. In conference championship games, each team can have an alumni come out in like a WWE entrance <laughs> at any point of the game 
and play one play of the game. So like if LSU is in the conference, if LSU is in the conference championship and they're like playing goal line defense to win the game, like the, the whole stadium could go dark and Jamal Adams comes out to like enter Sandman. And gets to play that one. Play. It's like a coach's challenge, but it's the alumni. <laughs> yeah. flag. It's a gold it's flag a phone that a, you throw. Phone a friend. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, yeah. exactly. You throw the gold flag, and nobody knows who it's gonna be, and they get that one player. So, like Saquon Barkley can come back and get one like kickoff return or handoff of Penn State. Uh, you can't say it's not entertaining. I like it. I, I would also like to go with like a conference rule. Let's get rid of these meaningless games in fucking November. You have to like only conference games in November. No non-conference schedule. I don't want to see Alabama play the Citadel in late <laughs> November. Like, let's I get agree. rid of that. We don't need to do it. You want to play them week one, play them week one, write them that check, but don't do it in November. I love it. I love it. We want to know your guys' rules that you would implement. Tweet them at us at Stick to Football. Leave them in your iTunes reviews. Thank you to Darrell Rivas for the time. Uh, cannot wait to get into interview season as some of these players declare we're going to be getting them on the show. Um, we're going to be tapping back into our phone books to get some great guests for you guys down the stretch. Make sure that you are there Saturday morning, Ohio State, Michigan. Rain, snow, sleet, doesn't matter. We're going to be out there. The, the RV trailer, actually the sides pop out and form an awning over the TV, so we will stay dry uh, unless we get like 300 people there, then there's going to be some wet. People. And if you're listening to this, history tells us we may not remember what happened. <laughs> we might not be able to come on here on a Monday morning and tell you this was a great tailgate and this is what happened, people. <laughs> you might just have to come live it for yourself and hope that you can remember it. Maybe we just. The rules are the rules. Fight club rules. We don't talk about what happened. You guys got to come find out. I think that's the way we do this from now on on the tailgates, and it'll keep us out of trouble. So, uh, all right, for Mellow and Connor, uh, I'm Matt. Thank you guys for listening. Connor and I will be back Wednesday morning as always, and then Mellow and I will have a special Thanksgiving show uh, from the road Black for Friday you. edition. Black Friday edition so of good. the podcast. Oh, it's going to get dangerous out there. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out. We'll talk to you real soon.